Well, it's great to see you here. Uh, my name is Steve Murphy, lead minister here at Discover. And again, for like the 50th time, Happy New Year. Hope you guys are all doing well. Thanks for checking us out online if you are doing that. I just want to say thank you for your involvement in 2019. It was a great year for Discover, a year of growth, both numerically and spiritually. And we're seeing God do some powerful things. And we want to see that continue. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. How, how does that happen? How do we allow ourselves to be available for God to use us to make an impact? The other day I was at the, the gas station. I was filling up my car and it just kind of struck me, you know, how easy it is to get gas, right? I mean, it's not necessarily all that cheap, but it's simple. You just go up to the gas pump and put your card in and you just get gas. While I was filling up, I was thinking, man, we need fuel for so many things. Like we need it for our cars, right? Our cars, our SUVs, our trucks, whatever. We need energy for our homes, for our businesses, for our schools, for our technology, and we need fuel for our lives, for our bodies, and for our souls. And I really want to focus on that last part this morning. I want us to see that there is a way for us to be refueled. Jesus provides this amazing example for us in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn to Luke chapter 5. And in just one verse, we have a format for just one of the ways that we can be refueled by God. So that as we are filled, we can fulfill God's vision for our lives and for our church. But before we get there, we need to find some context and we also need to pause and pray. So let's do that. God, we uh, recognize that we sometimes make things really complicated, and we just ask for you to be clear through your word, through your spirit this morning. Help us to hear what it is you have for us individually and as a church. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 12, and this gives us the context for what's happening. Here we go, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So this man is a leper. He's unclean, and that means he is ostracized. He is marginalized in his society. He has to live, actually, even beyond the margins, he has to live outside of his society. And whenever he comes into the presence of the people, he has to yell, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine what that would be like? But when he sees Jesus, he has hope. And he says, Jesus, you can make a difference if you are willing. Now, to be honest, Jesus didn't have to. He could have ignored the man. A lot of people did. In fact, most people did. But Jesus said, I am willing. He made a conscious decision that he was going to be involved in the lives of the people who needed him. And then he did something unbelievable. He touched the man physically. That was a no-no. You weren't allowed to do that or you would become unclean yourself. And it was also dangerous. He could have contracted leprosy. But this was Jesus. 
and he made a conscious decision. And then he followed through and he touched the man and he healed him. And that's a great example for us to get involved, to, to reach out, to go beyond what is expected. But look what happens in verse 14, something interesting. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So what is, what is Jesus doing here? Why is he being so secretive? Well, there are several possibilities. Probably all of them valid. One is that he is saying, listen, you need to obey what the law says to do here. You've been cleansed. You need to go and follow through with what it says you're supposed to do. So obedience is very important to Jesus. It's also possible that Jesus is simply like he did with his mother in John chapter 2, saying, this is not my time. This isn't what this is about. Jesus didn't come necessarily, right, for public admiration, not in the way that people would want to give it to him. He wasn't all about just healing people. He was all about bringing the kingdom of God to this world, to our hearts, to our lives. And he could be very misunderstood in this situation. Jesus wasn't really here to be a political leader, a revolutionary in the way that we would think of it. He was here to revolutionize our hearts and our souls. And so whenever these things happened, people got the wrong idea and kept coming to Jesus for the things that they wanted rather than the things that they maybe needed. But I think there's another possibility. And I think, again, all of these are, are quite plausible. This may be part of what's happening as well. Jesus, who is fully God, when he was here on earth, was also fully human. And I think he was just getting worn out. People kept coming to him. And in his humanity, he just was being worn down by all these people. And I don't think that's just conjecture. I think we see it. Look what happens in verse 15. Jesus says, don't tell people. Yet, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. The crowds want more, 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 more. And Jesus keeps giving, but that is taking its toll. It's draining him. And so, key verse for us this morning, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see, we can't live out the vision that God has for us if we are empty. Our impact is minimal. If we don't have fuel. But we can be refueled, filled by God. And we see a framework for that here in verse 16. The first thing is Jesus withdrew. Jesus was obviously active. He cared about people. He, had, he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. He was involved in their lives. And that's good. But by itself, that is not sustainable. It's just not. So Jesus often withdrew 
to lonely places and pray. Bill Gaultier writes, Jesus continually withdrew from people, daily life activities and the demands of his ministry to be alone with the Father and pray. It's how he began his ministry. It's how he made important decisions. It's how he dealt with troubling emotions, the constant demands of his ministry, cared for his soul, and taught his disciples. It's how he prepared for his death on the cross. Jesus' solitude is how he went deeper in his love relationship with the God he knew as Abba. Jesus intentionally withdrew so he could later re-engage. We need specific times where we withdraw and we focus on God so that we can be refueled and re-engaged for the mission. So we need specific times that are set aside. And we see we need specific places. To refuel, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That idea, lonely places, is sometimes translated in other versions, deserted or desolate or out of the way or the wilderness. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I want an escape. <laughs> and uh, a lot of us, I think, try to do it to escape and refuel through things like Netflix or social media or sports or a relationship or a drug or busyness or many other things, including dun, da, 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 our phones. I mean, they have become so much part of who we are on a daily basis, right? Well, just try this. Do an experiment. Take your phone, turn it off, not just on the vibrate, turn it off, set it aside, and go and be still for five minutes. Silent for five minutes. A lot of us, that would feel like five hours. <laughs> the truth is, many of us need an escape from our typical escape, whatever that happens to be. Henry Nguyen wrote this in his book, With Open Hands. There was a time when silence was normal and a lot of racket disturbed us. But today, noise is the normal fare and silence, strange as it may seem, has become the real disturbance. Does that resonate with anybody? Does that seem realistic, true? That book was written in 1972. Think about how much more noise and busyness we have in our world now. Now, not everybody is the same, but find the right environment for you to be able to focus on God. The right environment makes a tangible difference. The right environment is important, and it's also important to have the right attitudes and actions. See, it's not only what we withdraw from, it's what we go to. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He prayed. 
In the Gospels, there are over 20 times situations where we see Jesus removing himself. Solitude, silence, prayer. Sometimes we wonder, well, how do I pray? Well, Jesus gave us a a simple model in Matthew chapter 6, but the main idea is keep it simple. Whatever is on your heart, whatever is resonating with you, that's the thing you should pray about. That's the thing we need to verbalize to God. And prayer is also not just talking, it's, it's being still, it's listening. It's allowing God's spirit to connect with ours so we can sense what God is asking us to do, which will line up with the word. John Bunyan said, in prayer, it's better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. It's pretty profound. There is nothing that can take the place of prayer. This is a connecting point between earth and heaven, between your spirit and the spirit of God. Beth Moore said, there are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, and defeats of the darkness that will come no other way then through furious, fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. So find a place where you can go and focus on God. And when you're there, focus on God. There's one other thing that was important to what Jesus did. It's back in the very beginning of the verse. It says, often, often Jesus went to the wilderness, to lonely places, to be by himself with God and pray. If you would only eat one meal a week, how long would it be before you became weak, before you got sick, before you probably died? We need to be filled more frequently than that physically, and we need to be filled more than that spiritually. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was his habit. The message paraphrase says, as often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. Let me ask a question that hit me this week. If Jesus often withdrew to quiet places to pray, why in the world would I think I need to do less? If Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, God in the flesh, needed to spend time separate from everyone, from the stresses and things of life, to be still and to pray, why would any of us think we can do better? I know prayer maybe just doesn't look that attractive. It's not that appealing. It's not dynamic the way that we think of it. I mean, kind of by definition, especially as Jesus gives examples of prayer, it's alone. It's silent. It's solitude. It's kind of 
invisible to the world. But what happens there is completely visible as our lives are changed by God. If we are to make an impact, the one that God wants us to make individually and as a a church family, then we need to say, yes, this year in 2020, I will be refueled as I get away and I pray. You know, often we eat meals by ourselves. That's normal. That's totally fine. In fact, if you are of a certain age and don't have a reason why it's impossible for you, it's actually problematic if you can't feed yourself, right? At some point in your life, you become responsible for providing your own food. You don't look to to mommy when you're 48. At least you shouldn't, right? Maybe for a special meal, but you need to become responsible for yourself. And it's exactly the same thing spiritually. If your spiritual diet is always at someone else's hand, there's a problem. You need to be personally responsible for your spiritual growth, for your spiritual diet. And there's good news. The God who created you can refill you, can sustain you. He can change you. And it happens in a very unique way when we take the time to be still and alone with God in prayer. If people are wearing you out, if your job is just taxing you, if school is killing you, if relationships and stresses and difficulties and the demands of this world are just overwhelming you, then you need to be refueled. And even if they're not, we all do. We all need to be refueled consistently. And here's what's cool. When each of us individually is refilled, refueled for God's vision, then we as a church family are more fully prepared, more fully equipped, more fully fueled for what God asks. Because the it's individual, our relationship with God, but it's also corporate. We are a family. We are a team. So part of our spiritual refueling happens together by design. It's what we're doing right now. We come and we enjoy each other's presence. We spend time encouraging each other. We hear from God's word. We celebrate what God has done this past week. We give praise, not only with our lips, but with our hearts, telling God thanks and welcoming his presence in our lives, corporately and individually. We get refilled as we celebrate and remember what Jesus has done for us by giving his life, taking the bread and the cup. This is a time of refueling for us. Life groups are essential to being refueled. If you are not part of a life group, you are missing fuel. 
You are missing what God has for you. And we have life groups for all ages. They meet at all kinds of times in all kinds of places. And as was mentioned in the lobby, there's a table. If you're not in a life group, you're missing out and you're missing the opportunity to pour into someone else's life as well. We want every single person in a life group. There are things that happen in life group that can never happen in a large group setting. It's where we can share life and share joys and frustrations and challenges together. And it changes us. Throughout the year, there are camps and conferences and retreats that are available, again, for all ages. In February, ladies, the IF gathering is essential fuel for you. And men, a men's retreat at the end of February, essential fuel for us guys as well. And tonight, we gather, we, we eat physical food together, and then we spend just a couple of minutes, a few minutes in worship, giving thanks to God. And then we, we break up and go throughout the building and pray for our church. Pray for the body of Christ to be effective in making a difference in the world. God's word is incredibly clear. He says that we are to impact the world by loving him and loving people. And it's, the order is important there. We have to love God first with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we do that, as we are nurtured and nourished by God, then we have the fuel that we need to go and fulfill the vision of loving people the way God wants us to. Jim Putman in his book, Church is a Team Sport, said, when a church becomes a shepherding community, when they care for the needs of others, when they help people beat the habits that have always beaten them, when they dare to be real, others can't help but notice. This is how the church has grown, through the Holy Spirit changing people's lives. When a shepherding culture goes the extra mile, people get involved in each other's lives and become a community. When they see the power of God in those they love, they are drawn. It's contagious. People literally become walking billboards for Jesus. In a world of brokenness, what a relief to find real relationships, real family, and real help. This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.